Thank you, Tyler, for the... we got a hot mic. Thank you, Tyler, for that. It's always... Well, isn't Tyler wonderful? It is, it is a true blessing just to know. Don't give him thumbs down, Brandon. Don't keep his head down. Keep, lift him up. Uh, <laughs> it is so wonderful to know um, that when I'm, I'm unavailable to lead worship or I'm, I'm preaching, um, it's so great to know that Tyler is going to be here and he's going to do a fantastic job. So I didn't know that I was preaching this sermon until seven days ago. That may not sound like a big deal to y'all, but that's a quarter of the time it spent on the last sermon. So when Johnny texted me and said, yeah, I'm going to be out, just be ready, I'm sure he assumed I was already working on something. And if he had known that I wasn't, he probably wouldn't have asked me because he knew that would have given me anxiety. But I like a challenge. So I went home and I flipped through the Bible and I just started flipping through every book and every verse that I thought I could grab something out of, hoping that something would just jump out at me. And after two hours of that, I got nothing. And so I just, I closed my Bible. I I was sitting at my dining room table and I said, God, whatever it says, whatever I'm supposed to get up behind the pulpit and say, just tell me, just let me know what it is. I want to do whatever you want. Your will be done. And God said, preach on that. And I was like, preach on what? You can have to be more specific. He's like, preach on my will. You said my will be done. I want you to do that. So here we are. Today I'm going to preach a sermon um, that I, th- I thought was cleverly titled God's Will Hunting because it's the Goodwill Hunting logo, but it's, it's not. I'm a movie guy. He's, anyway, it's lame. And my wife told me it was going to be lame, but <laughs> like most times, I didn't listen. But... Um, today we're talking about God's will and how we find God's will. There was a uh, there was a guy who used to play football named Reggie White. Who knows who Reggie White is? Yeah, <laughs> Matt, you don't know who Reggie White is. Reggie White uh, was a football player who uh, was probably one of the best defensive football players through the late '80s and all through the '90s. He just was a dominant force on the field. And after graduating from the University of Tennessee, breaking all of their records, he went to go play for the now defunct USFL. And then he, after after they collapsed, he went to go play for the Philadelphia Eagles. After playing for the Eagles for eight seasons, he went he went to free agency, um, which just means he was looking for a team. He was looking for somewhere where he could win a championship, and that's what he said: "I want to win a Super Bowl." So several teams looked for him, looked at him. They brought him in, and one such team was the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay brought him in. They toured the facilities. They talked to him about what they thought he could bring to the table, what they could bring to the table for him. Um, They took him to his favorite restaurant, which I think was Red Lobster. And it it was an overall good experience from what I understand. When Reggie got home that night, it was it was pretty well known that he was a very religious gentleman. Very religious gentleman. Makes him sound dapper. Um, a very religious man, and when he got home, there was a voicemail on his messaging machine, and he hit the button, and on the other end was Mike Holgram, who was the coach for the Green Bay Packers, 
He said, Reggie, this is God. I want you to go play for the Green Bay Packers. I found that story a lot funnier than y'all did. <laughs> and apparently Reggie found that just as funny because he did wind up signing with the Green Bay Packers for $15 million, and he did win his Super Bowl. But wouldn't it be great if God just called us to tell us what he wanted of us? Amen. Thank you, Paula. Wouldn't it be great if I could just wake up in the morning, I turn over, there's a text message that says, John, do this, 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 and this. God. That would be amazing, but sometimes it feels more like feels more like that scene in the notebook, which I know isn't the manliest thing I've ever said, but there's a scene where they're standing outside the house and he's screaming at her, what do you want? What do you want? And she's just being super difficult. And sometimes that, that's how I feel when I'm trying to find God's will by myself. So today we're going to kind of go over the way I figured out and, the, and biblically what we can do to figure out what that will is. Because God has a will for all of our lives. If you're in this room, God has a will for you. God has a purpose for you. But he doesn't just hand it to you. Again, that'd be lovely. But that's just not the way it is. Um, and it can be difficult. It can be uh, stressful sometimes to try to figure that will out. But it's definitely a worthwhile venture. Matthew 5, 6 says, happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. That's a, that's a verse you hear a lot in Celebrate Recovery. That's one of, their, one of the tenets there. And there was, a, there was a gentleman who used to come to Celebrate Recovery who, I don't know what his hurt habit or hiccup was. I think it was complaining because he, he managed to complain quite a bit. But he, he, he went to Sippy one time and, and said, you know, we, we go over the Beatitudes every week but we don't ever like explain them. We don't ever get in depth with them. And so he said, yeah, neither did Jesus. The verse says, can you put that verse back up, Matt? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be comforted. In the ESV, um, that's happier those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. It's a, it's a math problem. Do what God requires. Or, oh, for y'all, it's do what God requires equals happiness. It's straightforward. So that's, that's what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to achieve God's will because in the end, that's going to make our lives so much easier than trying to run away from it or try to do something that we want. That's why it's your will be done. It's not my will be done. And I'll consult you later. So the first thing that we have to do when looking for God's will is we have to seek God. And that's pretty basic. I'm not giving you any curveballs today. I'm not throwing you any, any strong uh, doctrinal type points. Seek God. Uh, Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We write the song. We remember the song. Uh, Johnny asked me one time, he was like, he's like, uh, I want to I wanna do this song for the service because it goes along with the point that I'm making. Do you know the song? It's like, Johnny, everybody knows that song. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Anyway, 
But it seems simple, right? If we want to do what God requires of us, why not ask him? If we want to do what God requires of us, I'd almost venture to say asking him isn't optional. We don't really have a choice. I am, I am so sick of seeing Christians doing the Lord's work when it's very obvious they didn't consult him. If I went home and I, I opened the door and I said, Hillary, don't worry about dinner. I got us covered. And I walked into the kitchen and I slammed down a bag filled to the brim with Allsup's burritos. Amen, right? That wouldn't fly in my house. It might work for me, but it definitely would not work for my wife. And not just because she prefers chimichangas, but because when I say I've taken care of dinner, she's not expecting 10 gut busters. And if I had bothered to ask, I probably would have known that too. So what's keeping us from seeking God? Because it seems like a really simple idea. It seems like a simple concept, but it's also really hard. And I, I've tried to figure out why, and I think I really think the reason why is because we're afraid. We're afraid to ask God because we might not want to know the answer. That answer may take us into a place of discomfort. That, that answer may take us into a place that's a little bit scary, into a place we originally thought God didn't want us to be. But God's the one giving the answer, and he has the answer key. He knows all of the answers. So at the end of the day, we're going to have to get used to a little bit of discomfort. But what you'll find when we're doing God's will is peace. And peace is well worth it. The more we communicate, the more good out of that we will see. I need to take a drink. I'm getting God in mouth already. I haven't used a handheld mic to preach. Drink much? I feel like I feel like a stand-up comedian. Like, what's the deal with communion wafers? Um, so it's Christmas time, if you haven't noticed. And for some people, no Christmas would be complete without the Christmas classic movie, not Die Hard. It's a Wonderful Life. Who in here just loves It's a Wonderful Life? That's their favorite Christmas movie. That movie is a Christmas classic. You cannot get through the season without watching that movie, right? But what if I told you that it wasn't, that wasn't always the case? What if I told you that It's a Wonderful Life barely made back the money that it cost to make? What if I told you that that movie was so poorly received that, that you know, oh, Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra, the director, chose to never work together again after making that film. And you're sitting here wondering, but, but John, it's a Christmas classic. That movie is Christmas for some of us. How can that be? I'm so glad you asked. You see, the movie was so poorly received and made so little money 
that in 1974, when it came time for the studios to re-up the uh, copyright to rights to the film, they just chose not to. It was just too much effort to try to do that. So it fell into public domain, which meant that TV stations could play it as many times as they want, whenever they wanted, for free. And if you've ever worked in any type of entertainment, free is king. So they chose to start playing it. TV stations, every TV station was playing it. Three, four times a day, all Christmas, from 1974 all the way up to 2020. And what happens when you see a movie that is on TV six times a day and you see it every single week, every single day during Christmas time? They convinced us that it was a classic. They brainwashed us into believing that this was an amazing film. In the same way, maybe not being brainwashed, but in the same way when we communicate with God more and more, and and when we go to him over and over and over again continually, that programs our brain so that no matter what, we go to him. We find his will in our life. We find his purpose for us. John Piper says, it is a myth that man in his natural state is genuinely seeking God. Men do seek God, but they do seek him, but they seek him not for who he is. Um, They seek him in a pinch as one who might preserve them from death or enhance their worldly enjoyments. Sometimes naturally our, our, our inclination is to only seek God when, when we're down, when we're down here. But if we seek God when we're right here, and we start seeking him daily when we're right here, then really the only place to go is up. We start seeking him more when we're up here. And God's will takes us way up here. Uh, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We have to first seek God. The next next thing that we need to do is seek godly advice. Seek wise counsel. In Proverbs 11, 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Full disclosure, I'm a moron. Thank you, Matt. I needed that. I'm not, I'm, uh, as, as Forrest Gump would say, I'm not a smart man. So left to my own devices, I probably just wouldn't have made it. But my plan with most things is to seek people who are better equipped, who maybe have done these things before, um, and just follow their lead. A few years ago, Hillary and I had taken the youth to camp. We were in Glorieta, New Mexico, right outside of Santa Fe. And I had an opportunity to go in town with some other youth pastors. Um, and we had, we had dropped some kids off or something. And we, I think we were going to Walmart or something. And uh, I got a call from my wife. And she was letting me know that her niece had just uh, given birth. And the baby, to no surprise, tested positive for several different illicit substances. 
And so naturally the state takes the baby away in that, in that situation, trying to find placement. The state wanted to do family first. They wanted to try to find a family member that, that could take the baby. Um, and Hillary said we were probably the best option as far as family. And she wanted to know what I thought. Um, a couple of pieces of key information. Hillary and I had only been married for about eight months at that time. We lived in an apartment probably about the size of the stage. Uh, we cooked on a hot plate, not two hot plates because that would throw the breaker. And this was, uh, this, was a pot, this was a placement that could last anywhere from two months to 18 years. So a big decision for me to make on my way to Walmart. And I told Hillary my hesitations. I said, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with this. And the people that I was with um, had, had tried to give me this, this thing about if I have the ability to help, why wouldn't I? Which was them using something I said earlier against me, but out of context. I hate it when that happens. Um, but I was hesitant. And, and I don't think anybody else in this room wouldn't be hesitant about something like that. But uh, I got back to camp, and I found another youth pastor, a guy from Bushland. And I remember a conversation he and I had had about, uh, about him and his wife had just adopted. He was, he was a little bit of an older gentleman. And so I pulled him aside. I told him the whole story, and I told him my hesitations. And he said, you know what? You're right. You can't do this. You're financially not in a great place to do this. Your home is not near big enough to do this. You've only been married for a few months. Your wife and I are, your, your wife, you and your wife, not, I mean, anyway. Take two. Your wife and you are, are still trying to figure out how to be married, try, still trying to figure out who each other are. You're right to be hesitant. And, and this does not sound like a good idea for you. In that moment, I knew that I needed to go to somebody who was wiser than me. I needed to seek wise counsel and not somebody that wanted to tell me, wanted to reassure me of what I wanted to hear, but wanted to be very real about the situation, wanted to be really very real about what he said to me. Um, surrounding yourself with wise counsel will keep you out of a lot of trouble. It's helped me in my marriage. It's helped me with parenthood. It's helped me in ministry. I cannot stress enough how important seeking wise counsel is. When King David went off the rails, which is kind of a, a, a nice way of saying what happened to him, but when King David went off the rails and was, was sleeping with other men's wives and then murdering the men and, and so on and so forth, God sent Nathan... And Nathan tells David this story. And, and, and uh, let's, just go to the, let's just go to the passage. It is 2 Samuel, Matt will not have it. Uh, 2 Samuel 12, um, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. 
And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you're the man. No, you are the man. Never, never mind. You're that man in the story. I'm sorry, that was kind of a semantics joke. Um, you're the man in this story. And he tells him this story, and, and Nathan becomes, er, David becomes angry and says, how can, how can this man do this to his friend? And Nathan says, exactly. See, in that moment, David has, this eye, has his eyes open, and he realizes the, the weight of what he's done. God sent, sent Nathan to David to give him counsel, to set him, uh, to set him right. So when you're faced with a difficult situation, find help. It may come in the, look of, in the form of a pastor, a friend, a teacher, um, or just someone you know you can trust. It may come in the form of counselors. But you, we have to find someone, and we have to know that we can trust that person to tell us, what we need to hear and not what we want to hear. Because as we've established, God's will is not about what we want to hear. And the last, going along with trust, the last thing we need to make sure we do is trust God. Trust in the, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. If your desire is to do God's will, it's going to take you to some difficult places. It's going to take you to some places you don't want to be. It's going to take you to some places that make you uh, leery, that you may be leery of. But they're where God's taking you. And God, again, he's got the answer key. He knows all of this. He knows what's going on. Consider Jonah. We talked about Jonah a few weeks ago. But most of Jonah's issues trusted, boiled down to God or to him not trusting God. And that's why he ran. That's why he complained. And when Jonah finally gave in and trusted God, God showed him the magnitude of his ability to change the hearts of the Ninevites. Um, In Jonah... I didn't write it down in my notes. Uh, Three, uh, six through uh, nine. If you'll turn in your Bibles there. Starting in verse six, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let them, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is his hands. Who knows? God may turn or relent and turn from his, from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. 
When God told Jonah, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites, Jonah said, well, they're not gonna listen and I don't wanna go. And so he ran the other direction and God put him inside of a fish straight to Nineveh. And when he finally got there, and the whole time, I can only imagine God is is talking to Jonah saying, if you will just trust me, we wouldn't have to go through all of this. If you would just do what I'm commanding of you, we wouldn't, I wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to get on a boat and then be tossed off of that boat and into the mouth of a fish so that I have to take you with a fish across the ocean to Nineveh. If you would have just gone, we could have avoided this whole thing. But once Jonah gets to Nineveh and he finally gives in, what happens? Everyone hears. It spreads like wildfire. And this isn't me getting up with a microphone or having a television set that I can get to everybody with or, or you know, even radio or even a megaphone. It's just him standing in front of thousands of people and the, the word just burns through Nineveh, gets to the king and the king says, we've got to make changes. They weren't planning on making changes before Jonah showed up. And immediately the king says, we're all fasting. We're all covering ourselves with, fat, with sackcloth. We are, we, are, we are doing a 180 here in hopes that God might not send a meteor to, to blow this whole place up. And then we find out later on that the real reason Jonah didn't want to go is because he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He knew that God was powerful enough to save them, which is the reason why he didn't want to go in the first place, because he hated the Ninevites. Again, we're talking about a place where God's telling us to do something that may make us uncomfortable, may be something we don't want to do. But I promise you, if God's the one that's telling you to do it, he's going to figure out a way to make it happen. Um, after all is said and done, uh, if we don't trust God, it's because of our own understandings. It's not because of his. It might be scary. It might be uncomfortable, but you just have to trust the process. If you live in the Clovis, New Mexico area, we'd love to have you join us one Sunday at 10 a.m. We are located at 2201 North Main Street in Clovis. For more information about our church, visit highlandclovis.com. And to let us know a little bit more about you, choose the Connect tab and click on our online visitor card. You can also submit your prayer requests under the Connect tab. Lastly, follow us on Facebook at hbc.clovis to keep up to date with our announcements, events, and online services. Thank you.